Hey everyone, Ian from the Fellowship of the Tabletop here, just to bring you some news and updates on our ongoings here at the podcast. So where we last left our dear Nicks and Marota, that story, that whole kind of season as it were, season two, Bellum Draconis, is now just going to be put on pause. I know that I believe at the end of the last episode I said we've got a Halloween special coming up with four episodes. Well, that Halloween special, once we recorded it, turns out takes up almost like a mini season of its own. So it is kind of, I guess, a season 2.5. Um, we're doing that because it allows some of our other castmates from the main arc, our Bellum Draconis arc, to have a break. We've been doing this for three years now, releasing content every single Friday for that time. And it's only understandable that every now and then some of the core cast members uh, need a break. So that's what we're doing here. Darren has stepped into the DM shoes and will do for the foreseeable future. I I probably, if I was to hazard a guess, say that we've got 14 episodes ahead of us. Um, but yeah, we got to the end of recording our Halloween special which uh, will precede this with another three episodes. And by the end of that, we realized that we've still got a lot of story to tell for this. So sit back and relax. Take this as a season 2.5, if you will. It's going to be called The Shadow Men Tales. And then in the new year, we will catch up with our core group, the Bellum Draconis clan, and find out what happens to Nix Marota. Enjoy. Stay with us. We've got some great content coming your way. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Fellowship of the Tabletop. We are a live play 5e podcast set in the kingdom of Shadowmend in the realm of Erith. My name is Darren and I am going to run D&D for you this evening. And with me tonight, we have a host of delectable, brilliant players. We have with me our rules consultant, Will. We're brilliant players. That's amazing. We have our regular folly slash alpha, Callum. Brilliant is um, a bit debatable at this stage. And then we have two guests. We have our Willbot, our fantastic role-playing one-shot extraordinaire. Some could say that uh, brilliant is subjective. And joining us for the first time, we have Mike. Hello, everyone. Pleasure to be here. Allow me to set the scene for you, listeners. To the northeast of Erith. Beyond the vast plains of the Hentist Empire lies the Kingdom of Shadowmend. The Hentist Empire, much like the distant Kingdom of Sleetgard, has been battling the hordes of the dead. The dread event known as the Blight has seen the great gate gates of Myra that sit on Shadowmend's southern borders shut, with which all land routes to Shadowmend are now cut off by the spanning canyon known as the Gorge of Swordmare, which paints Shadowmend's land borders on all maps. As such, the events of the Halstorm Surge, the line of Sleekguard, and the heroes therein contained drift far away from the ears of the citizens of Shadowmend. Myra's Gate holds behind it the market town of Sisterhold and the gargantuan vast daunting towers of the Sisterhold Lyceum. We begin by panoramically sweeping over these towers and head northwest of the Triangle, a land of magically created deserts and sand dunes. Day shifts to night 
as Sol, the sun god, is replaced by his wife and equal Selene, the moon goddess of the night. You see the tops of burrows that go down into the sand villages that populate the vast triangle deserts of Shadowmend. The nightlights of the road, known as Prince Lanterns, flash into life like fireflies, showing the way north. Though the camera swings west, away from the road and into the darkness, time passes once more, and as Sol rises, the sand gives way to the glistening blue water of Haddo's Bay, leading westward onto the perilous depths of the Dartonian Ocean. Northwards we go, as water gives way to city walls, the metropolis of Great Haddo, overwatched by the great palace of Vermont's Fall. As the golden and black dragon scales of Vermont that adorn the Great Tower glisten and reflect Sol's light all over the city, the city comes to life, and the smoke of industry begins to bellow from fires and rooftops. In the silk and spice market, traders begin to fill the streets with the sounds of bartering. At the heart of the district lies the manse of Dreslin's Bazaar. The camera sweeps through the golden doors and lands on a nervous-looking gnome. The greeting hall is a large, open, tented room with large marble pillars. There is a large counter in the centre of the room, behind which cavernous rooms are filled with darkness. To the south of the room, the entrance is filled with all manner of strange and curious wonders. Near and surrounding the door stands piles and piles of vials of dust, Above them sits the giant skeleton of a beholder, its vacant eye sockets ever watching out of the hole in its skull. The camera, like the mechanism of a mind, switches to another memory. Now the greeting hall is light. The skeletal beholder is at your back, and in front of you stands the breathing presence of the great beholder Dreslin. The stench of powder and perfume meshes with the smell of decay with every breath of the giant beholder that now stands in front of you. Find the tome that rests at the bank of Jaria. Go to the ghost city of Fatherkeep undetected. I will provide an agent of mine to get you into the city. From there you are on your own. Those that please me I make rich. Those that fail... I entrust to my brother Gorkin, and he adds them to my dust collection. Dreslin points to the bones that remain of his brother. It's hard to tell what is worst. The darting keen stare of Dreslin, or the hollow emptiness of Gorkin's empty eye sockets. You remember a separate tentacle, each pressing a vial of dust into all of your hands in foreboding unison. As you snap out of this memory, you focus on the vial of dust, still pressed into your hand, or your pocket, or in your traveller's pack, wherever it might be on your person, and a voice says to you, you're supposed to be watching, not fantasizing. You see the cold eyes of a human staring back at you. If it were not for sizable scar running from navel to cheek and the missing two teeth to the side of his smile, and the sense of sheer coldness in the eyes, Teravid your guide since entering the sewers of Great Hather would appear affable and handsome. Ever since you left the city in the seven days hence wandering the sand dunes of the Triangle, familiarity with this man only seems to make him colder. Yet, he does his job well. You have avoided the vigilance, the name given to the military order that are tasked with keeping folk away from Fatherkeep. You look up at him. His fine leather armour is still about his armour. It's still about his person. He sleeps in his armour with ease, 
you recall. One of the many things that make him unnerving. The twin short swords that he wields as a deadly artisan are unsheathed and laid out in front of him. You squint to make him out. He's not let you light a fire for the last two days for fear of bringing the vigilance down on you. He chucks a basic pack of rations over to you. He watches you for a moment, taking you all in. We're going over to our regular rules consultant, Will. Tell us what Taravid sees. So looking across the small camp without a fire that has been set up, uh, you will look towards McBenner, who is an aged human male. His actual age is difficult to pinpoint because his skin has that aged leathery look of a man who has spent a great deal of his years out either in the sun or out in the elements so his age is difficult to actually pinpoint but you can definitely say from his movements he strikes you as an older male certainly well past what you would call your adventuring prime but you've noticed whenever you've seen his hands move or do something they seem quite quick and nimble as if old age has stopped at the wrist and allowed his hands to maintain the precision that they've had of his youth his clothing appears patchwork and aged as if this is the clothes that he has worn for his many many decades and has repaired over and over again perhaps adding a new bit every now and then but he certainly hasn't had an affluent lifestyle he looks well equipped he's got a bow he has a rapier he has a pack that he seems to carry despite his age perfectly well and of his and without any assistance and he rummages around every now and then to get things out of it when he needs it he strikes you as a man who has seen a lot and perhaps has a great deal of experience in doing adventuring which might be why he is on this adventure thank you for that really lovely description will torvid looks back over to you and says was it a nice day dream that you were having I well, it was uh, it was certainly one thing or another. It's been a long time since I've been out like this, so you know uh, you get lost in your mind sometimes. Unlike you, uh, humans. I suppose I can understand that. I ain't too young myself, but fair be it. I got a few years to go on you. Ah, uh, you do. I've never been one to ask much of the folk who come and work for Dreslin, but. Since it's the first day of sunfall, I think I'll give it a go. What on earth is a member of the Rainier doing going into Father Keep? Well, you know what it's like. You get to a certain age and know that you can't do everything. And, you know, you're not as strong or as fast as you used to. And you know that at some point, one of your fights is going to be your last so I'm looking perhaps for a a nice retirement, somewhere to put my feet up and enjoy what short years I might have left. You know, my voice ain't native to Shadowmend. I picked it up from them dwarven folk, and it always made me wonder see when they were stood around their hearth fires and their forges that they'd whack those things until, well, until they got quite old. And I've always found that quite funny that that, that, what the fuck's his name? 
Alido, that's a fucker, that he would uh, ask his kin to uh, or, and his, his disciples to, to spend their life toiling at the forge. And, uh, well, let me just say, I think it's a mighty noble ambition to want to get yourself a little bit of stock so you can stop toiling away. Ah, that would be uh, that would be nice, indeed. Oh, look! Seems like while you were failing to keep watch, that the rest of them are starting to wake up. And as he says that, he glances around at the three other people who are starting to rise from their sleeping bags. Those of you who are just waking, you notice that it's well, it's seasonally cold. The month of sunfall is in particular, which is the colloquial name given to it, is particularly quite cold in Shadowmen. The, the sun that rises across the golden dunes of the Triangle, it doesn't take hold until later in the day. Nightfall is particularly cold at this time of year, particularly within the calendar of Salem, which is traditionally Shadowmen's winter months. I'm going to start with the order in which you're appearing on my list on on. Uh, on roll 20 in front of me could i ask mike could you describe who is just currently waking so who is currently waking is a huge muscle ripped individual man uh he's probably about six foot ten he's got a uh, a sort of a sandy uh sandy hair sandy beard um he's not wearing anything at all He's completely stark because the cold really doesn't affect him. And he's slowly going over and he's putting on what looks to be quite a smart suit, waistcoats. And then he's put, he's got his shirt on, bloodstained on it. And then there's a bowler hat. You were originally told by Dresden that he'd sent word via foot messenger to the gentleman explorer and noble, Lynx von Vanderheyer, although the noble of king of the kingdom of Shadowell. And as such, Lynx would have had a vested interest in the fate of Father Keep. He's also the master thief that goes by the codename The Squirrel. The Squirrel specializes in fine art acquisition without detection. And as a result, Dreslin required his particular set of skills for this endeavor. It was a shame that the messenger arrived at Lynx's hideout when he did. Upon opening the lip of his tent, the messenger was witness to the immediate beheading of Lynx von Vanderheyer. The barbarian responsible quickly made fine work of the messenger before rifling through his personal effects, only to discover a note addressed to Lord Vonderheyer. Although his ability to read is poor at best, the barbarian was able to make out a name, location, and reward. His ambition is simple. Gold. What confronts you and the rest of the party upon meeting him is clearly a barbarian in a terribly ill-fitting disguise, consisting of a bloodstained bowler hat, waistcoat, shirt, and trousers. He is also wearing a hastily made misspelt name tag that maybe says Lynx von Vanderheyer on it, and then some symbols underneath it. The simplest of perception checks will reveal his true identity and his name, as it's been sewn into every aspect of armour, equipment, and clothing. The one who stands in front of you is actually called Edic Jorthrimmer, but he will never tell you that. Oh, look, the squirrel rises. Funny thing, Dresden used to talk to me about the squirrel. I'm sure he used to be shorter. Well, this is not something that you need to worry about. I have had much muesli this morning, and most mornings makes a boy grow. <laughs> ah, well, Dresden pays me all the same, so I don't really care who you are, if I'm honest. And what about you? 
he says as he looks over at the other Will. I believe One Shot Will was the name we were going to go for for you. <laughs> indeed, indeed. You, uh, the first thing you would see is uh, that in front of you, kind of sitting upright, is a tabaxi. They are in really fine um, uh, clothing. It's like a thick coat that they're wearing at the moment with gold clasps across it. The shoulders are almost... Um, puffed out somewhat with gold emblazoned there. He's got um, a white, almost like a cowboy hat, upturned on one side with a golden feather poking out the top. Um, uh, quite a big feature that you would notice of him as well is his pristine white fur. He is like a spotless white throughout. Um, the only section of his fur that is tinted is the very tip of his cat-like tail, which, <clears throat> which is uh, a kind of a midnight blue color. He's not wearing any shoes um, and affixed at his waist around his belt. Um, he has a rather large hooded lantern, obviously um, not lit at all. Um, and as it currently stands, he's kind of just sitting upright, arms resting on his legs. And you can see his both hands are kind of gloved and externally on each of the fingers of these gloved hands is uh, a ring. So there's a ring around his thumb and all of the fingers. This is Carl Jeet um, sitting upright facing you all now with a wry smile on his face. Oh, the tabaxi awakes. I would ask you to sing me a song, but as I said, I don't want to bring the vigilance down on us. If you could just get up and do that quietly, it'd be greatly appreciated. Carl G doesn't really do much for songs, I'm afraid. And I'll have you know that Carl G doesn't sleep. He waits. Oh, sorry. I'm a, I'm, I'm a bit ignorant to, uh, to the tabaxi. Most of the folk I know from tabaxi, well, they tend to wander the old triangle with the lutes, playing instruments and just finding coin wherever they can. But I suppose I shouldn't jump to conclusions. Probably best not to. I mean, you can't tar everyone with the same brush, surely. Ah, well, Hallow the Knight seems to think it's perfectly fine. Elven cunt. Anyway, that's enough about him. What are you doing there, young fellow? And as he says that, Callum, he glances over to you. And what you see is a very, very drowsy gnome um, that is clad in very, very simple kind of green and brown felt clothes uh, with a little satchel. But the one thing that kind of stands out is that as he's kind of bringing himself around from waking up, there is a swarm of insects and millipedes, uh, caterpillars, ants, bees, an array of bugs that's basically kind of helping him get dressed all the time and they're just kind of moving him around the camp just like walking under his feet so the gnome's legs aren't actually moving but all these insects are and just as you start to talk to him these insects just kind of form the shape of a hand and just start to slap him around the front of the face just to try and get him to wake up a little bit what what all right fine i'm awake i'm awake i'm awake (sighs) anyone ever told you how fucking creepy that is what you mean my friends yeah, the fucking bugs. What's wrong with them? Don't you insult my bugs? I ain't insulting them. I'm saying it's creepy, that's all. I'm sure it's delightful. What other things do you get them to do? Actually, I don't want to know. 
it's probably best you don't. Yes, I, I agree with that. They're my uh, friends. To insult them, and now, well, they can get places. Ah, uh, well, I hope you lot don't mind me all of a sudden taking an interest in you. Just we part company today, and I, well, I found you all quite interesting, and well, as I'm sure you're all aware, with such a lucrative uh, prize on the end of it, many a folk have gone into Father Keep. Not many have come back out since the uh, since the events of the Howling. And as he says that, you're all able to reflect on where you were the day you heard that the city of Fatherkeep was engulfed in darkness and stayed that way for seven days. Particularly for you, uh, McKenna, McKiver. I'm sorry, Willow, I've got that name wrong. Um, correct me if I have. McBenner. McBenner. You particularly will remember being in Eden Square at Brother Mike Fort, and the rumours are true that it's that the howls and the screams that you could hear from Father Keep as it were engulfed in the darkness could be heard all the way east at Brother Mike Fort. It's a moment of reflection that as light returned to the city after seven days, all traces of any of its inhabitants had disappeared. In the years that have passed since, You've heard tales of people going into Fatherkeep, and you've heard tales of terrible things that dwell there, though none in particular seem to involve anything that involves someone returning from the city. Tavid now points to Sol as it starts to rise in the sky and suggests, suggest you eat up, vigilance will be out patrolling soon, and I suggest you make whatever business you've got and then we think about making tracks. What you will notice is that as the darkness starts to dissipate, the silhouette of a city is emerging on the horizon. As you look out across the ridge from where you've camped, which is a haven akin to Weathertop, which is our first Middle Earth reference for the evening, you notice that this giant city pretty much looks like it still stands as a font of civilization, save for the fact that there is no sign of industry and no sign of life. The most eerie thing is how silent it is. As the spectre of the city rises, a coldness starts to wash over you all. Can I get a wisdom save from everyone, please? Damn, boy. Something good, something good, something good. Nope. That's nope, a waste. Nope. Shit. Yeah, that's a good, good, good roll all around there. <laughs> okay, McBenner, what did you get? Uh, I got an eight. Thank you. Carl? Oh, sorry. Uh, that's a seven from Carl. <laughs> uh, Miki? I got a natural 20 for a 22 total. Hey. And Biffo, as you appear on... <laughs> Do I? <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I got a nine. Okay. McBenner, you glance towards the city, and what you think you see is just, just for a moment, appearing on the ramparts of the city wall... It's a cloaked figure that just seems to appear and then very quickly disappears. In the faintest of seconds, you feel this cold chill come over you and then quickly disappears as suddenly as it emerges. You snap out of that cold chill as you hear Torvid say, I'll take you to the Wells Passage if you like, or you can walk right up to the city from here. I've done my bit and Frat Dreslin hasn't asked me to do any more and frankly I won't. I'm smart enough to go nowhere near that city. The Wells uh, Passage, uh, you go, you go. I uh, don't about everybody else, but uh, I'll be uh, fancying 
will take the Wells Passage if it means avoiding the stares of them empty, vacant ramparts. Whatever's or whoever's still in there, I don't want to draw their attention too early. What about the rest of you? Carl Jake will certainly follow, not want to take the front of these kinds of things. Uh, Carl will say as he sort of kind of starts standing up and picks up this massive, massive uh, backpack bedroll, things like that, that he's got with him. Yeah, well, that's got two of you. I've got no problem in it, no problem. Sooner we get there, sooner we can get away again. Uh, and damp down there, I reckon your bugs will quite like it. They might like it, but I don't. What about you, Squirrel? Well, clearly, as I am not a barbarian, I will do whatever a barbarian doesn't do. I don't know what the fuck a barbarian is, but it sounds mighty interesting. Anyway, Wells Passage is located not far from here. I heard uh, Haddo the Third had it built as a way that is actually a decoy for a secret, secret passage in and out of the city. Don't know if that's true. I don't really care what those half-elf cunts get up to. But anyway, it will bring you out straight in Founders Square if the rumours are true, which I have it on good authority that they are. You're not 500, 600 paces from the bank then. Of course, if you choose not to take the well in, it's going over the city wall and I can't say that will protect you from the vigilance or you can go up and knock on the gates don't think anyone will answer mind and uh, Dreslin sure the book is uh, in the vaults of the bank yeah it wouldn't be paying you 500 gold 500,000 gold or whatever it is he's agreed 50,000 gold I don't know he didn't tell me how much I know it's a lot it has to be to get you to go in there just, just, just making sure we understand. Well, this uh, Wells Passage sounds good to me. Oh, the rest of you lads. Yes, let, 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 let's get let's get a move on quickly. And the gnome is still going to be completely standing still. Um, good old Mickey Muffle. And the bugs are basically going to start packing up all the crap, putting everything on his back. And he's not even going to be moving his legs again. He's just going to be coasting on a array wave of insects towards um, this passage. Okay. Anyone else want to do anything before you set off from the ridge? Carl's just going to fasten his backpack. Oh, sorry. No, it's Eddie was sort of finishing off the the last of his his rations, and he's just watched Mickey do the thing with the with the bugs, and is absolutely aghast at what he's just seen. Like he's never seen anything <laughs> like it before. Just staring at him. This is most confusing. What is this? I believe actually, he's talking to you, bug boy. I don't know if he's actually talking to me or if it's just a no, just no, no, no. Yeah, just a gog staring at him as he's being carried away by his insect folk, like just not <laughs> talking directly to him. Just, is this, what is this? They're my friends. 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 And he turns to Torvik and he goes, what are friends? In his case, fuck knows. Fuck I heard knows. that. I hope being moved by them creatures don't slow you down. Maybe, maybe a little bit slower than normal, but I save a lot on leg strength. I'm not very strong. Oh, I. Right, well, vigilance will be about their patrol spoon, and we're, uh, whilst well hidden, we're on the ridge. I suggest we get moving, if anyone, unless anyone else has got any reason to stay. 
No, quicker we're in, quicker we're out. I like you. That's good logic. Follow me. And as Torvid leads you off, you start to trek north towards the Dartonian Sea. The city of Fatherkeep, silently emerging through the mist as Sol takes to the sky. As you make your way down the ridge and around, the city remains constantly in your periphery. The giant, ominous, silent spectre that it has now become. After walking for about an hour to four, an hour, an hour and a half, you start to see what looks like the remains of a stone well. It appears to be in relative good order and intact. It's of a basic stone structure. The Arcanic sandstones, which all of you as natives of Shattered Mind would recommend as very small evocation stones that stop sand setting on the wells of the triangle, appear to be completely non-functional. This has been the case of, part of several of the wells that you've passed since you've been within the, the, the borders of the Howling and the borders of Father Keep. The well itself is now sand-covered. A grey, greeny, limey moss covers stones and descends down into the sand plains. Tavid looks down into the well before looking back at you all and still saying, all right, that's to be as expected. In you go. Kalji will just stand there and kind of look around the group steadily. Okay. Um, And as as we look down the well, is, is it... Is it clearly pitch black down there? Do you want to give me a perception check, please? You're right. I'll roll perception. It's an 11. Yeah, I mean, you can see all the way down. It's about 30 feet to the bottom, but Sol is is, is sitting quite high in the sky. It illuminates quite nicely down into the well. It doesn't appear to be anything particularly special about it. Um, you notice that there are signs of wear and tear on the rope. It's been left sat there for the best part of eight years. Uh, there's quite a lot of sandweed starting to take over the well. Um, nothing out of the ordinary. You've been to far worse places and you've seen far worse things. This looks to be a pretty ordinary well to you. Um, but it is about a 30-foot drop. Uh, there is at the top of the well what appears to be like a stanchion, which you can see that the rope is still hanging off. Um, that's what you get with that roll. Okay, um, so um, McBenner will put his pack down, get a torch out. So I reckon I'll light this and drop it down so we've got something down there just to give us a bit more light. And then we uh, descend carefully. Sound about good? What's wrong, old man? Can't you see in the dark? No, I can't. No. Problem? Well, that's not a problem. I, I was just expecting yeah, yeah. a bit more from such an experienced adventurer. Sorry. Yeah, well, mm. I'm sorry. I've, I've got human eyes, and uh, it is what it is. So, you know, either no. deal with it well, or then. get to fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um a little bit rude, but okay, fair enough. Throw, throw down your torch. Do you think we should replace a rope as well? Yeah, if we place some rope down, I can uh, use some of these uh, pitons to give us a bit of a grip, and that way we'll be able to uh, be anchored at the top so a rope won't slip. Yeah, well, carry on then. So I'll use part of my climber's kit to secure the rope so that it's not going to slip, and I'll then light a torch and drop it down. 
Okay, great. For securing the rope, I'm going to assume that as a, a member of the Rainier, you, as someone who delves into the gorge, you've done this sort of thing several times. So do you want to give me uh, two checks, survival and sleight of hand? You can do both at advantage. Okay, thank you. So let's do survival first. First roll. Yeah. Second roll. So that's a, a 23 on the survival. Yep. And then sleight of hand, and a, it's a first roll to 12. Second roll, that's a 25 on the sleight Jeez, of hand, and a 23 right. on the survival. Yeah, what the rest of you see is McBenner is able to, he just gives the stanchion that's hanging above the well just a whack with the fist and seems to be seems to be happy that this is secure enough. And then, yeah, you definitely rip out your... your, your um, you, you, you trap your explorers right you're able to tie it around the stanchion you watch it definitely fall down the well and you're satisfied that you now have a means of descending to the bottom excellent and then lighting the torch with a bit of flint i make sure the torch is taken nicely i drop it down and then grab hold of the rope and go right i suppose the old man will go first then okay and down i go Bit more handy than your bugs. Time will tell on that. Don't get snarky with me. Ah, uh, well, if you make it back out alive, I'll be willing to eat one of them. How about that? How dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> I would not give you the privilege. Ah, uh, well, try not to die in there. Yeah, I don't think there's a problem with that. Except maybe for the old man. Ah, uh, well, everything has its time. Off you go, then. Hey, well, I'm, 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 I'm coming. And yeah, uh, Mickey will follow down as well. As Mickey goes down, could I try to sneakily get one of his bugs? How dare you, sir? How very dare you? <laughs> Absolutely, you can. This uh, It's a one shot. Why not have some player on player betrayal nice and early? There's, there's no ramifications for it. Um, okay, it's going to be sleight of hand, I guess, versus perception. I'll let you know mine when you're ready. Roll my perception. I got a 19 as a perception. Last. Yep, only 11 for me. Okay, as soon as he reaches for a bug, I am withdrawing my weapon. I said, this is your first warning, don't you dare. Karajit was just simply curious as to... I, I know what's are. called... I know what's called Jeet was about to do. I've met your kind before, don't you dare. Don't you dare. After you, then, little man, on your way down. And what you're actually going to see is the bugs are going to kind of lead the way as I've locked eyes with Carl, and I'm still just kind of hovering backwards in reverse, and they take me <laughs> up over the well and just slightly down, and I've still locked eyes, and as soon as I'm down the well is when I actually pay attention to what I'm doing. <laughs> in what world is that not fucking creepy? Anyway, you two going down, or are you going to stay here and just enjoy Soul's Mighty Rays for a bit longer? I was just trying to see what's what, get get my eye in, find out a little about, about little bit about them. What uh, what do you reckon, the squirrel, if that is your name? You making your way down first? I was going to go last. I am quite big and heavy, and I'm concerned the rope will break. After you. Actually a pretty valid point, fair enough. And Carl will kind of um, vault the lip. And this, well, I'm assuming it goes most of the way down to the bottom. 
Is that right? Or is it like a, just at the top and then there's kind of cavernous beneath? How long's the rope, Will? Uh, 50 feet of rope. Yeah, you're fine. It goes to the bottom. Because Carl's got a climbing speed. Uh, so what I wanted to do was kind of shing, bring the claws out a little bit and make it a bit cooler uh, <laughs> to try and make his way down without necessarily needing the assistance. That would be the aim, whether or not oh, that happens. You can certainly try. <laughs> what I love that phrase. Uh, yeah, yeah, bolting, bolting the lip of the well and using his claws to kind of dig into the wall and, and with cat-like agility, uh, climb down. Mm, uh, I think that's an acrobatics check, please. Okay, fingers crossed. That's a 16. Yeah, you managed to jump into the well. Uh, it's just about wide enough so you can kind of put your hands out either side and you'll just be able to scrape your way down the wall. And as you manage to do that with perfect death timing, what those of you down the bottom already hear is the sound of just screeching down rocks and the small fall of rock dust as Carl descends down to the, ro- the well very quickly and lands at the bottom with you. I'd like Probably- to thank you. Thank you for oh, the uh, quietness of you doing that. I'll finish with a flourish and take the hat off and a bit of a bow. Pull it back on my head and move out of the way of the rope. So Eddick's just seen that Carl's descent and he just tends to talk and goes, well, that was quite unnecessary. Um, are you are you going to go now, Dovik? Ah, uh, my part in the deal is done. Not nearly unnecessary as you butchering the squirrel, though. I kind of get it. He was an awful cunt. I don't know what you mean. My name is uh, Lynx von Vandiheil, and I... And he points to his little uh, badge, his little name tag, is, and I am not a barbarian. And he gives you a little smile and a nod, thinking that he's, I, he's pulled I, this I, up. I told you before, I don't know what one of them is, and I, I, I don't care. Are you going down that well, or are you going to stay here chatting to me all day? Well, I suppose it is my time. And he goes over to the well, and he grabs the rope, but you can see that he's just truly petrified of heights. And he just slowly grabs onto the rope, locks his legs around it with a little squeal, and then just slowly, really slowly descends, staring at you slowly, bit by bit, maintaining eye contact, truly petrified until he's just gone into the darkness. Yeah, even before your head disappears beneath the uh, parapet of the well, Torvid's already gathering up his stuff and leaving. So you're looking at him and he's he's just, he's lost interest. He gives (laughs) holding eye contact and just starts gathering his bits and starts to walk away. As you land at the bottom of the well, you're plunged into an environment that will require dark vision or some form of artificial light, or at least you get the sense as you move further into wherever this tunnel is, that's almost certainly what's going to be needed. Um, You're at the bottom of the well. You can feel the moss beneath you. Uh, The floor is really dry. You get the sense that there's been no water in this well for for quite some time. It's it's like a dry riverbed. You can see the cracks in it. You can see the moss starting to come through and the weed and dandelions. Um, What do you all want to do? Uh, McBenna will pick up the torch that he dropped down and sort of use its light to sort of see what he can see around them. Okay, yep. As you do that, can you give me a perception check, please? Yeah, right. Ah, 15. Yeah, it's quite obvious with that, that the stones here have have pretty much been undisturbed for some time. But with that, you can clearly see a a, a out-of-place outline 
to the stones that appear to be heading southeast, which which would be, uh, for a ranger of your caliber, you would know that the, the, the direction back towards Father Keep. So is it is it is it is it a, am I seeing a corridor? Is it the outline of what could be a doorway? Uh, the outline of something that could be a doorway with a perception check. That's really the best you can get. You'd have to no, go closer and, and to, cool. to detain more. Right. So looks like there's a a doorway of some kind. Either yep. you lot wanna any good with doors, or do you want me to just keep taking lead? How? how... Did, is it open? Is it locked? Well, it's it's it's. It, you see this outline here, and uh, McVenna will go up to the the stonework and just point out. See, stonework here just doesn't quite doesn't quite line up right. It's uh, would make sense if this this is some kind of passageway or a secret way out. It's this been blocked off, from, then. Yes. Well, either that or it's designed to not be found by someone looking down a well. You know. Secret passageways, secret. It's in the word. Um, okay, um, can we get it open? I, I'm afraid I don't really have uh, a lot of strength. I can try and push things, but I don't think it'll have much of an effect. How about you, big man, squirrel? I could give it a push, but can't you make your little bugs into a little key and open the door? How would that work exactly? I have no idea. I don't understand your bugs. This is a, a, a not an actual door. There is no key. It's, a, it's like something that's been blocked off. Um, oh. I, I don't think it would work that way. I think looking at your um, rather broad shoulders and um, rippling muscles, Mr. Vanderhorn, you would be quite good for this. Oh, thank you. And he's just going to lumber himself over and go, where do you want me to push or pull or in and out? Where? Here? And he just random area, and then he's just gonna go nuts on it. Absolutely, just push like borderline rage. Just go for it, and like pure anger comes out of him as he's just rampaging against this this door thing, just trying to get it to budge. Okay, nice. In lieu of not thinking of a better check, though, I will defer to our rules consultant if he can come up with one. Can you give me a strength saving throw? Unless I, I think athletic, athletics, yeah, better use of the yeah. strength. Yeah, see, almost like a little Buddha. I can hear Will, like like in my, like a Yoda. I can hear what what he would say. And yeah, athletics is probably better. Give me an athletics check. That's going to be a fifteen. Uh, you thump into the wall, and you, again, similar to when Carl came down with his claws, you do notice that the dust just there's another another fall of dust. Something seems to give but it doesn't open yet but you do feel like kind of like pushing against a locked door you do feel that that this is where something will give way um having watched uh the squirrel as inverted commas he is um try and push the door can i now investigate to see if there's a keyhole uh sure you walk over to the door uh where edic the squirrel. I think we're going to call him the squirrel from here on in. It's just the well, it's... name. <laughs> yes. But it's um, a lie. Or is it? Um, yeah. Can I have an investigation check as you go over to the door, please? Maybe. Uh, and McBenna will look to the uh, wee gnome and the cat. Maybe you want to uh, help me out here. Your uh, eyesight might be better than mine. Carl will... Uh take the lantern from his belt, cast light on it, ignite it, 
pretty much and uh, hold it up to help but not move any closer can nobody see the dark here Oh, for Lord Bugs, go go and see what you can find, will you? Go see what you can find. Um, so yeah, I'm going to send my swarm of insects just to kind of explore all the crevices and cracks that might be in this wall, just to see if there's any kind of uh, little hole that could be mistaken as a key, and they will report back to me. Edix just looking at that and muttering under his breath, and he's just like, "Find the key, find the key, little ones." <laughs> okay, as you're both singing from different hymn sheets on the way to find the door, I'm going to suggest that you both roll investigation rather than one of you aids the other. Okay. So that's Callum and that's Callum and uh McBenner said so McBenner and um Miki. Yep. Yeah, I rolled poorly. I just wanted to help. I just wanted the assist action to give advantage, but it's fine guys. Let's ignore the games. <laughs> <laughs> Too better. Uh I passed with 14 just FYI. Okay. For investigation. As do I, I have a passive of 14, but I rolled a 13. Okay, so just for fidelity for our listeners, what did you roll? I rolled a 9. Okay, thank mm. you. And Miki rolled a 13. Um, yeah. With, with that passive of 14, yeah, it, it, it becomes clear eventually after glancing around. You, you go to the natural place where you'd expect a lock to be, and you realize it's not there, but after another quick glance, you can see there's effectively two locks. One at the top of the door, at the top right of the door, like in the postage stamp, and another one in the bottom right. It appears to be like a, a, a dual lock system. Right. Um, okay. Let me let me just um, have, a, have, have a look-see here. And I'm going to just try and go through my well you're not you're not going to see me you're going to see a, a hand a bug hand just kind of reach into the rucksack just trying to uh god it's kind of like folly now uh reach into the rucksack <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and just try and um find something and he's actually going to pull out um a set of thieves tools um yep. that i actually have okay okay so my books have told me there's a, a lock at the top and a lock at the bottom so nice. if somebody who's tall takes this they can try and sort something out at the top and we I could try and use some of the other stuff and try and sort it out from the bottom unless anybody's got anything else that we can use I mean if you're uh, Andy and uh, proficient at using them thief tools and you uh, go for bottom um, well, actually I just kind of picked them off off uh, of somebody I found in the forest right. he didn't need them anymore so so do you, do you want someone who actually knows how to use them to that, use? that would be much much preferred yes yeah Oh, sorry. After you. Oh, sorry. I was gonna. Edic's gonna step over at that point and uh, and and look at Miki and go. I have solved your height problem. And he's just going to pick him up in one hand <laughs> and hold him up to the top lock um, so that he can work on it from height. <laughs> wow. Up you go. Please don't do that again. It's good. Okay. It's fine. Warn me. And as you're lifting, oh sorry, you go, Carl. You go, Carl. I was going to say, Carl was going to make his way over to um, there as well. Take the backpack fully off him um, and rummage around. He's also going to pull out uh, basically uh, thieves' tools as well and just get to work on the lower lock. Okay. Yep. Can I get sleight of hand checks from both Miki and Carl? (laughs) You can. Ooh, okay, so Miki got a 15. And 20 from Carl. Yeah, what eventually you hear is first Carl, all of a sudden you're able to jimmy the lock and there's a... 
and then a few seconds later, you hear the same from the top as Miki also produces a... And all of a sudden, you can feel the warm air as this door starts to shift slightly, just coming down this corridor. It is dry, it is stale, but it is unmistakably behind here. You assume once you push this thing open will be will be some form of passageway. So seeing at feeling that, because I I feel like Edic sort of in that he's still holding uh, Miki at height. He feels that. And he lowers Miki down a little bit, but forgetting he's still holding him, pushes the door open, but with with Miki first. So just like pushing him into the door, and then the door hopefully is going to swing open, but using Miki's face more than anything else. Yeah, as soon as you try to move, you're just going to hear Miki go, and there's going to be an array of bugs that try and come in front of Miki's face just to try and soften this blow. <laughs> it's not hard. It's not hard. It's it's soft. It's just like a slow <laughs> adding of pressure towards you and the door. You know, he's completely oblivious of what he's doing. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, and as this very comical image happens, what you see is this stone, what appears to now be a stone door on hinge, just, just creaks back and with a fud hits the wall behind it. And then what you see in front of you is just a a, a, a wall... A, a passageway of complete darkness. I think well. as the thing opens up, you're just going to see Mickey there with a few bugs still on his face. He's going to be staring at the squirrel with such a kind of disappointed look on his face right now. He says, I always heard that the squirrel was a man of style and class. Um, uh, upon hearing this, Edic looks down at his hand and is pu- uh, is just startled that you're still there and goes ah! and, and drops you. Because <laughs> <laughs> <he's> gonna- <laughs> well, he tries to stop me, but again, the bugs just kind of gently lower me down to a certain degree because they followed me up. <laughs> oh dear! Shall we get a move on? Is the uh, corridor magical darkness, or is it kind of? Uh, it's just just pitch black. Pitch There's black. no light down there. You can awesome. see uh, wall. Um, wall. Is it sconces? How it's pronounced? Yeah, sconces on the yeah, side. You can see, but they're empty. There's no candles in them. Um, that they, 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 there are quite a few cobwebs wrapped around them, and you can see they seem to go down the corridor at, at intermittent lengths. You can only see the first two before it, it plunges into darkness. There's nothing to suggest this is magical darkness. It's just pitch black because it's under the earth. Okay. Yeah, I have dark vision, so I think Mickey would um, start to lead the way on his wave of bugs. Come on now, keep up those who I've can't see. Dark vision, got sorry, thought. sorry to, yeah, sorry to kind of rules lawyer myself. Dark vision won't help because it's pitch black. You still need some form of light for, for dark vision to work. Ah, okay. Doesn't it? I don't know. I thought I would be right there. Well, I was hoping you'd come in and go, yeah, that's right, rather than no. doesn't it? But <laughs> no, it, it kind of upgrades it. So in darkness, I can see like dim light and in dim light i can see if it were bright light so, so yeah months with dark vision can see months to see dim light within the radio field bright light dark with dim light but you can't discern color so if you're looking at something everything's oh, in gray gray scale so <clears throat> essentially if you're looking at something and it's a color-based puzzle in the pitch black you can't see the colors um, that kind of stuff but the point, crucial thing is you can still see because it's it's not low light vision which used to be a thing it's just dark vision so you can see in the dark just not Thank you. Thank you, Rules okay. Thank you, Rules Consultant. For everyone who has dark vision, then, you can see that grayscale kind of view that 
Will so aptly just described. For those of you that don't, you need to produce some form of light to see. I've got anything. a lit torch, it casts light for 20 feet. I'm good. I'm going to, st- I don't have anything, so I'm going to have to stay near uh, 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 McBrenner. Noticing this, I'll turn to you, Squirrel, and say, Do you know, I've got plenty of wares in my backpack. I could probably sell you a torch <laughs> if you fancy. Oh, that's very kind. But where are where are all of your wares? There's, here's, what are wares? Right. Uh, <laughs> I think I might have to to dull down the speech here a little bit for you. Um, I can give you a torch and light give. it for you if you've give, got any money. Let's say a single gold piece for a torch for you, just so you can see. Oh, okay. And he's just going to pat his his uh, pockets and just turn back here. I'm sorry, I I never keep change. Well, that's a shame. I'll uh, turn around and walk off. Okay. Um, as you, uh, uh, unless anyone's gone down the tunnel before you, Carl will be the first one walking down. You do realise that it's probably wide enough for three of you to, to, to walk uh, abreast and in order. Otherwise, you'd have to drop into formation. One of you would certainly not be able to walk in an equal line. This this tunnel's about 15 feet wide and probably not wide enough for, for all four of you to walk. And, uh, as I said, I've got the dark vision. I think for an advantage point of view and all my bugs, I would purposely try and stay ahead of the light a little bit. So I'm I can be to, just by myself. I'm happy to okay. sit at the back. So. So for the purposes of this, it's going to be in the marching order. It's going to be Carl, Miki, and then it's going to be McBenner and then uh, the squirrel. It, it kind of in tandem at the back. Yeah, yeah that works. It's okay with me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fine. Okay. You make your way down the tunnel. You can notice as you make your way in that there is smooth brickwork here, that this has been deliberately put in, and that perhaps Torvid's story stands true. Um, you do notice that in the corners, both high and low of the tunnel, there appear to be sporadic holes that seem to have been burrowed in over time. They're about the holes the size of a tennis ball. McBenna, with your history of delving into the gorge, they look like rat warrens to you as, a, as an easily discernible thing from what you've seen though you don't see any uh, sign of any rats. You walk for what feels like an eternity. Um, If you've ever been in a dark tunnel, it seems to just go on forever and ever and ever. Though in truth, you're aware that you've probably been walking for no more than 15 minutes. Can I get a perception check from you all? Um, The least likely person might see something here. <laughs> the least likely person who got the best chance. Literally, I just imagine like, oh, what was that? <laughs> Can I get your rolls, please? Uh, Miki. I got a, a, Miki with an eighteen. Uh, Edic the squirrel. I got a nineteen. Carl, an eleven from Carl, and then McBenner. Twelve for McBenner. Okay, after about twenty minutes, Carl, you at the front notice what appears to be a pile of bones just uh, sat upon the floor. Um, it's a skeletal figure that, that, that seems to remain, and you're, it immediately dawns on you what Dreslin said about getting into the Bank of Jahera, the purpose why you're here, to go and find some form of mythical tome. The reason this dawns on you now is because 
your sense of purpose is brought back into clarity by what you see, as is the danger of what you face. This is quite clearly the remains of a humanoid skeleton. Okay. Um, yeah, Carl will kind of just stop in his tracks, uh, turn around to the rest of the group and just say, well, this is as far as one person got. Uh, anyone feel like leading from here? I, I can light a torch for you, of course. But Did I do not... Anything? Sorry, I do not have the coin for a torch. Did he have anything good on him? Well... Did he get bones now? That's all I can see at the moment, yeah. Do you like bones? Yeah, I'm not a fan. A few of my bugs are. Good, good, good calcium. You um, do notice as you glance at him that there are like very basic what appear to be functional leather armor nothing particularly fancy to it that seems to encompass these bones there appears to be a little pouch at his side and you do notice that he was armed with a short sword okay um does it is he completely intact like does it look like it's a blunt force trauma does it look like he's i don't know if there's no bone damage if you like i could assume that he's bled out or something like that You'd have to get closer. That, that, that would require an investigation check. Okay. Um, I'll uh, turn around and say, why don't you go and have a closer look there, Mickey? Yeah, 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 fine. You're, you're hungry, fellas. You're hungry, fellas. And on a wave of bugs, I'm going to approach the skeleton. And they're just yeah. going to kind of go into, start creeping in through all the bones and going through any kind of satchels and things like that. I've got no interest in weapons or anything like that, but... Okay, you creepy fuck. Uh, roll investigation. Thirteen. <laughs> um, yeah, you're able to find a handful of silvers. They appear to be relatively old silvers. As you look at them, you can see the marking on the top says Haddo and then the Roman numerals for eight, which means this is... Uh, from the reign of the previous king. So his coins have got a bit of wear and life to them. You do notice that he appears to be facing in the direction from whence you came. So this person appears to have been heading in the direction from which you came, as if they were trying to get out rather than get in. Um, Apart from that, you don't find anything else. You, You do... Yeah, there are a handful of of keepsakes, little uh, strange things that you would find in like a wallet. Um, Obviously, this is a and d equivalent of a wallet of a satchel purse. So there appears to be a bill uh, that appears to have rotted now, so you can't make anything on it. But it's mostly that he appears to have four four silver pieces in his his coin purse. Okay, fair enough. I'll shout out. Yeah, got some old silvers. Hedo the Eighth. Yeah, I suppose that gives us some indication of how long he's been here. I will put him in my satchel. Anyone Edic- put the sword or anything like that? I'm not. Edix going to hopefully see the, uh, the, the 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 coin and just go. Could I please have one coin? Um, sure. I'm surprised the screw would care so much for a little trinket, but there you are. And just this, the 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 mage hand of books is just going to reach out and present him one of these silver coins. Okay, and he's going to take it and immediately turn to Carl with the silver coin and go, 
Kyle, I do not understand. If I give you this, you can give me something in return. Oh, yes. yes or no? Oh, you're, you're quite right there. If I you have coin, Karjit has the yes. wares. What wares can coin do? I'll He's just staring at the coin, looking at the lo- looking at the symbols on there, just transfixed. This is this is bizarre to him that he can actually trade with people. Like he's so used to the barbarian lifestyle of killing, taking, never actually buys anything. Carl <laughs> uh, will kind of <laughs> off his backpack once more, uh, take out uh, a, a torch, uh, light it for him, and and take the coin from the squirrel's hand, uh, and just say. There you go. That coin's got you this torch. Hopefully now you can see. And it is this simple. I do not have to kill you for it. Well, I'd, I'd hope not, because the transaction is complete. And he's just going to take the torch and go, Transaction. Transaction. And just totter off, bewildered at what's just happened. Um, I think just while that transaction's going off, I will have had more time to kind of investigate it, and I'll just announce to everybody else now. So, I, I don't don't really want to startle anybody, but this guy's going the other way. I'm 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 surprised. I thought you'd want, kind of want to go in because that's where the good stuff is. Why was this guy coming out if he didn't have anything on him? Did he die in the howling? Hmm. I'm unable to tell. Uh, McBenner, you in particular would be aware of the fact that the the, the, the common the, the thing most harrowing about the howling was that there were no bodies. The entire everyone just vanished, and the line of Haddow very quickly uh, issued a decree that no one was allowed to go anywhere near the city. Within within a thousand leagues of the city is pretty much the general. Uh, quarantine line and has been for eight years this uh this man he wasn't killed by the by the howling he was probably in the city trying to do something similar to us and McBenner will sort of bend down and just look ahead and just to see if he can see any tracks no matter how old because obviously this person's clearly been going away so he's looking it's can he still see this person's tracks are there any other tracks that were following it and that kind of stuff yeah do you want to give me an investigation as well yeah boy oh it's uh it's an unnatural 20 lovely okay what you see are a series of very tiny footprint tracks but you can see them heading in and out of the warrens and the in the, in the walls these, these are there are some rat tracks that you could follow um he's been here for some time i mean he's a skeletal figure so he's he's fully decayed and the, the general nature of dust and just the settle of sand has has swallowed his footprints there, there's nothing okay and just going off what um uh, one shot will was saying is is the skeleton intact? Are there signs of things like, does it look like it's got blunt force trauma as if it died from that? Or does it look like we can't tell intact. how it, it's intact? It appears okay. to be intact. So we don't know how it died. Fine. Mm-hmm. Well, wherever he was, uh, wherever he was going or wherever he was coming from, there's no way to find out how or where it's come from. So 
just might as well keep going. There's now more we can do for him, and now more he can do for us. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I suppose not. Maybe just you know proceed with a, a, a little bit of caution. Yes, yeah, okay. Well, um, oh, I, I agree. We should uh, be cautious from the moment we stepped in here because uh, it don't strike me as being a friendly place. This, yeah, considering the potential rewards we're getting, yes, possibly not. But so, Rob, I don't want to hang around here all day, and certainly don't want to end up like this person. No. Might so, be worthwhile yeah. getting those weapons out now. That is a good idea. Are you just going to hear the click of um, the string coming over a latch uh, from a from a hand crossbow? He's On, not got uh, a pistol this time. That, that, that's, I've, I've not uh, got a pistol. I've got something else that fires things. Right. Um, but because of like inventory stuff, I have a lot of arrows. Um, and I'm going to start to slowly move forward again on my way of bugs as you continue to make your way down this corridor you walk for another hour hour and a half and eventually you find a dead end and find a, a similar of uh, misshapen stones and hinges uh, as before uh, well actually unlike before this one appears to be off the latch and you can see a little bit of sunlight is just starting to seep in. And as you get closer to the door, you realise that you have made journey's end as far as this tunnel is concerned. Oh, good. It looks like we're at the end, chaps. Right, so... I think we got another door to open. Uh, and on, on hearing that, um, Edix just starts slowly to reach down to pick up uh, Mickey again. Nope, nope, nope. Nope. Oh. Bad Vanderhorn. No, it's you locks. We need to elevate you. We don't know where the locks are yet. Uh, look, oh. th- th- there's a- Sorry, just to say, there is light coming through this door. It appears yeah. to be slightly ajar. This yeah. one is not... Locked. Yeah, that's not, that, it's, not stopping, it's not stopping yeah. Eddie. <laughs> yeah. There is light. The door is open. Just you push. You push, Vanderhorn. Push. I'd like to think you're saying that as he's picking you up. He's just paying no attention to you. And he's just picking you up. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that's up to Eddie. He's just going to stop there after hearing Vanderhorn go, No, it's Van Den Heyer. And he's pointing at his name tag again. Van Den Heyer. And I am not. A barbarian. And just goes over and, in the most barbarian way, slams the door open. The the squirrel is definitely not one for subtlety. No, it doesn't... uh, Don't quite have the uh, reputation that precedes him. No, 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 definitely not. But door's open. I I call that a win. Well done. down, Down the way, just a little bit away, he turns around and yells back, The door is open! Yes, yes, we know. Thank you. Okay, as the door opens, I will say that Squirrel Edic, you're first through. You emerge. You emerge into a large courtyard in a manse, in a palace. You are quite clearly inside the city of Farvakeet. It is so quiet. You see the grandeur and majesty for what this city was, in particular this courtyard. 
Nature, weeds, plants seem to unwillingly take their place. It's as if nature itself that should have overtaken this city is growing and then almost recoiling and dying and then starting to grow again. The weeds just don't look right. It's a city vacant for eight years and you would expect nature to have taken charge by now as it had done in the well, but there doesn't appear to be any sight of that. The size of the courtyard, which those of you who are familiar with the history of Father King would know as the square of the Founder King. It strikes you immediately because of its size. It could easily hold 200, 300 people. To the north appears to be a large manse or villa. To the south, a large gateway stands underneath two giant structures of sphinxes, the gynosphinx of the elven family Cardinal and the andosphinx, the sigil of House Haddo. There is a large thoroughfare beyond, and you can see tall buildings scraping up either side. This, you would know, is the pathway towards the bank. You also notice that in front of you is this stunning square, which runs from north to south, and you see a series of statues along the side that have long been toppled or left to ruin, only their plants still remain upright. The, the, the statues of the, the of the what appear to be these male elven figures just pulled over into the dirt. In the centre of the courtyard is a large statue, undefiled by hand but beaten by the decaying nature. Flanking the statue are a series of walls. Stood in between the left panels of the wall is the unmistakable presence of the human form of Sol, dressed in his warrior's armour, his right hand holding a stone sunblade his left hand a reflective shield of coloured glass designed in its heyday to reflect splendour of colour all over the floor underneath. In between the right of the panels stands the hooded slender feminine figure of Selene. Her right hand holds the lute, the instrument of choice in Shadowmen, whilst her left hand raises up to the night sky, her statue positioned to cast great shadows under the moon. To the south of the tapestry appears to be a large forge. You're not close enough to see this properly or make out what's inscribed on it, but you safely assume this to be the Hentian god of the dwarven clans of the Hentist Empire, or those who settled in Shadowmen long ago. This is the dwarven forge god of Alido. Can I ask that you all make a wisdom saving throw? Can I also ask is this um for some magic that may affect us you i only ask i only ask because i have advantage on wisdom saving throws against magic bullshit out already uh no no this is this is not any form of magic that would be protected from okay. from what you've got yep five dm says no <laughs> if the dm will permit me Okay. Um, can I ask what you all got, please? We'll Mickey Buffalo? Carl. Yeah, well, I should nope. probably I should probably do my job and ask you. Carl, <laughs> yeah, what did I mean, you roll? I mean, what did you roll? Pause each other if you want, you know. Let's just everyone say it on three. I've done, I've done so well. I've done, we're an hour in and I've done so well. But anyway, Carl, what did you roll? Uh, Carl got measly four. Oops. Okay. Uh, McBenner? 11. Edic? Also 11. And Miki. 16. Okay, Carl, suddenly, for you, 
you see a courtyard alive in its heyday, full of hundreds of people. The sun shines brightly, brighter than the cold winter's day in which you were walking in. The statue stands, and every the statues that are down on the floor stand, and everything feels normal. You see in the centre of the courtyard a young male elven figure stands next to an armoured fire ganassi. The elf wears smart, very fine clothes. The fire ganassi wears a distinct set of plate mail armour. As one action, the armour opens and the ganassi exits. You see that he is marked in very distinct tattoos. He reaches in and removes out of the armour that stands behind them a tube and chucks it to a cube and chucks it towards the elf. You realise that this is a basic puzzle cube. The fire ganassi seems to walk up to the elf as the crowd starts to cheer and says to him, and you hear this very clearly, See magic everywhere and in everything, my prince. That is the true meaning of artificery. Suddenly you snap back to where you were, and this vision seems to disappear and dissipate, and you're back in the hollow silence as to where you once were. Uh, I'll cast my eyes about to the rest of the group and kind of gauge their expression, gauge their change, gauge their um, reaction, obviously not knowing that they've not seen what it was. All, all McBen has been doing is once they emerged, he's been getting his bow ready because it's finally in a place to use it. So he looks over at you and goes, something, uh, something wrong, Khajiit. You're telling me you didn't just see all the people? What no. people? Only people are here as us. There's something strange going on here. I got oh. a view full of people in this courtyard. A sort of fire ganassi, sort of elf, passing something back and forth, and then it's then it's gone. Ed, Edic's going to interject there and go, I see them too. And he's staring at the statues. And as you say, there's an elf. He's looking at the elven statue that's fallen over. You mean these? These are the things he sees. Oh, oh, oh right. I, 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 I saw something on the walls when we were looking out from camp. I saw something, a shadowy figure on walls. So maybe whatever happened here has left a... An echo of something. Nice. Well, I think that's all the more reason to try and move along now, shall we? Aye, let's uh, keep our wits about us and uh, our eyes peeled. RG degrees, let's go. Okay. As you begin to make your way through the courtyard, you notice some of the tapestries that are are deteriorating closer to the centre. It's quite clear that these are from the reign of Haddo I. You see tapestries that denote his shipwreck, him being safely guided by the Ando Sphinx. You see the water Ganassi pulling him from the waters, the forming of Brothermite Fort, Haddo giving homage to the natural gods of Sol and Selen. You see tapestries that denote the foundations of cities, the discovery of gold mines. The floor that you realise now is innate marble as you walk across it. You notice a large inscription seems to run in front of you. It reads, Here lies the father of our kingdom. Our memory shall we forever keep. Here lies Haddo, first of his name, the founder king. 
And as you take that in or make your way past it, depending on what your preference is, all of a sudden, this time something happens that you all notice. You feel this sense of buzzing in your ears. And all of a sudden, this flashing white light, it's, it's literally no more than a blink. But as that happens and you all recoil from it, all of a sudden, you notice that in front of you, on the ground, is a figure. From what you can see, this figure appears to be a humanoid form. It appears to have a tail, something that you find particularly strange. It appears to have a hood pulled up over its head. It appears to be quite tall, even whilst it's on the ground. Ian, why don't you tell them what they see? What you see is a seven and a half foot tall dragonborn. Resembling a bipedal dragon, this creature in front of you is covered in a tough, worn, scarred, scaly hide. It's murky brown in colour. In between the scales, you can see an ice blue light, which gives away his silver, draconic ancestry. His head strongly resembles a dragon, and like his veins, his eyes are ice-cold blue. He is strongly built and gives off the awe of being an individual who has seen a lot of battles. The scarring over his body reinforces this. He is clothesless for the most part, except for a dark green tough leather belt across his waist with material over the front and the back. His large hands are humanoid except for the scales and long claws at the end. His feet are more dragon-like, with three claws. Finally, unlike most dragonborns, you see a thick tail reaches out from the long black cloak that he's wearing. The long black cloak is hooded up so that you can't see his face, but on the back of the cloak, crudely drawn, is a silver star. And as this creature stands up, he turns round. Confusion on his scarred face. Where am I? Oh my God. He says that. That is where we're going to leave it for this week's episode of the Fellowship of the Tabletop. Um. Oh Ah. my God. Interesting. Indeed. (laughs) Uh, I really hope Dribbo's back. I, I I think it's his, it's it's clone. Well, I didn't ask Darren when this was set. No, no, I didn't either. Compared actually. to um, uh, the main campaign, all interesting questions. As a voice that many of our listeners and certainly all of our players recognise, echoes out across the marble floors. And you'll have to tune in next time to hear what the resolution to this question is. Where. Is he? What? Well, uh, well, I gave Will the opportunity to well, take the ending well, of this, but his silence is no, no, spoken no, no, well, no. volume. Being so, so listeners, I'm just going <laughs> to overdose and go for you. Thank <laughs> you for tuning in, listening, making us a party every day. We, we love you for it on this special episode of you. Will, I'm going to mute you. <laughs> If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you can do so on one of our various social media channels. Uh, Let's go just for the Twitter for today because it's a rather special uh, event. Um, Yeah, you can keep in touch with us at Fellowship Table. 
And I will extend my thanks to our newest member of the fellowship family, uh, Mike. Hi. Michael, how was your first time? That was good. I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that playing with you guys. Mm. Oh. Well, thankfully, this won't be the last time you play with us because we have another three episodes of this glorious one shot um, for you all and your delights. Mike. Hello. Do you have a Twitter page that you would like our listeners to know about if they, for whatever reason, wanted to give you a poke? I may have created a Twitter profile for this. Ooh. This is brilliant. Ooh. This is very standard. Very fellowship of you. Thank you. What is it? It is at not a barbarian. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, one shot will where can we find you fellowship npc pc our usual rules rules consultant will where can we find you natural 20 will you can find me at i rolled a one and callum where can we find you at the d20 gamer and our wonderfully done tonight dm where can we find you darren page 06 until next time, guys. Farewell. Farewell. Farewell.